G'day, Dominic Barfield here, and this is the RVC Clinical Podcast. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your smartphone or generic fruit-based device. We're really grateful for you taking the time to download and listen to this RVC podcast, and we don't ask for much in return. But we would be incredibly grateful if you could pop to Apple Podcast, the new name for uh, for iTunes, and leave us a review. Obviously, uh, there are many different reviews available, but five stars would be great. Um, those five-star reviews and tweets really help our metrics that uh, Brian and myself do not really understand the, the, the way that system works, but they help the analytics and making it easier for people who are quite interested in this information to access it. So it, it would help us and it would, it would help them as well. We tried in a, in a previous couple of uh, podcasts to coax some reviews from uh, different areas in New Zealand and Canada, sadly to no avail, Brian. I'm very disappointed about that, to, to be honest. Um, so maybe the uh, Australians or Americans could, uh, could take up the challenge. Um, so wherever you are, it'd be great if you could uh, take a couple of minutes of your time and leave us a review. So today we're going to talk to uh, Dr. Stein Neeson. Uh, um, Stein has been uh, at the RVC for, for a number of years, probably uh, a little over a decade, I imagine, uh, with my uh, my little bit of, of maths in my, in my head. Um, and uh, he's a, a guru in all things to do with diabetes. Um, but we're, Brian and I are going to talk to him today um, about uh, how we decide what insulin to use in cats. So thank you very much, Stein, for your time. You're welcome. So, Thanks for having me. Well, it's, a, it's our pleasure. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I hope this will be the, the first of many uh, conversations with you that would be, be great. Depends on how you treat me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, treat you, we'll treat you fair. Thanks. Um, so, uh, so I suppose uh, first it would be great if we could just have a, a rough overview of what insulin therapies are available, probably globally because of our, our audience, uh, that we can, can use in our feline friends. Yeah, no, we've got a, a couple that actually are manufactured by veterinary uh, manufacturers. Um, and those are can insulin. Um, and in Canada and North America in general, that's known as Vetsulin. Um, can insulin in Europe and Asia, uh, it's the same thing. Um, and then we've got uh, ProZinc, which is a PZI protein zinc insulin, which is manufactured by Boehringer. Um, and that's got the same name everywhere, which is handy. Um, so those are the veterinary um, options. Um, but then we could potentially go for for non-veterinary options, and those are plentiful. So there are loads of uh, synthetic insulin types. Uh, commonly used ones are glargine or lantus, um, and datamir or levamir, so that's a trade name um, that uh, can be used as well. Um, and then we've got a few sort of older insulin types, uh, but sometimes popular as well because of their price. Uh, so one of them is an NPH insulin, so neutral protein Hagendorn, um, and that refers to a particular type of insulin uh, that can also be bought in uh, certain pharmacies, but even supermarkets, uh, one of them uh, being a big chain in America. And uh, because it's quite cheap, it's uh, quite a popular choice uh, amongst uh, Americans especially as well. But there are some issues with those particular choices that we might want to touch upon. Okay, that that'd be great. So, so if a if a patient comes in that's newly diagnosed to you as, as being diabetic, do you have a, a, a go to insulin that you would reach for a first first line sort of choice or what makes you make that initial decision? 
Yeah, no, uh, I mean, it's a very good question. And this is the very reason why we very recently uh, did a systematic review, uh, which is sort of a, a complicated yet a very thorough uh, process to figure out what is the evidence. Uh, so we sat together with a few other experts and analyzed all the publications in uh, veterinary medicine surrounding the choice of insulin type and figured out how strong is the evidence for us to choose one over the other. Um, and we did it in a systematic way, hence the name systematic review. Um, and uh, what we figured out was that actually the choices that we've been making so far have been based on very little evidence and the evidence that is there is rather weak. Um, and that is despite there being loads of opinions out there to be found your listeners can Google away which is the best insulin for a cat and you'll find a lot of hits uh, claiming uh, some people saying that uh, particular choices are better than others uh, but like I said due to that systematic review we can't be all too certain about it um, so the baseline at that stage which um, was part of a PhD project I did with Dr. Ruth Gustelo my previous PhD student um, and um, what the conclusion of that was actually we, we don't have the evidence so the basis of her PhD was then to figure out if we can um, at least construct one particular clinical trial to figure out if we have a preferred insulin type so that's a long-winded answer to your very simple question that is I suppose it's a very complicated uh, thing to try and answer as well because no. I imagine there's so many variabilities in in um, the, the probably the, the you know that involve not only the, the the patient but also the client as well and how they administer that insulin and their interactions um, as well as what is available to them or what they are told to give so it's 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 probably a minefield of uh, organizing a, uh, a study a study like that. Uh, absolutely, so, yeah. And, and one of the recommendations from the systematic review was to to define better the parameters in which you can uh, perform a clinical trial that gives you the evidence that actually helps that is strong enough for you to believe it. Um, and as a consequence, we we actually uh, after having criticized all our colleagues uh, uh, on the basis of their clinical trials in the past, where there was pressure on us. To, to do a better job then because you can't just criticize you should also put yourself out there and produce your own clinical trial so that's what we've done over the last uh, five years and uh, we have conducted a clinical trial comparing two sort of main competitors uh, in terms of um, efficacy in feline diabetes which was a PZI prosync insulin versus the glargine lantus insulin um, using the best possible methodology which wasn't easy because like you say there's so many factors involved um, and what we found out is actually that those two insulin types for as far as we can say in the cleanest clinical trial ever produced in the biggest one ever produced those two are actually quite comparable um, so for me the take-home message very much is when you choose your insulin type for whatever species dog cat camel um, you need to make sure that that insulin type works for that individual animal and every time we start an insulin it's a bit of an experiment uh, you can try to predict on the basis of experience with other uh, or bigger populations what's going to happen with that insulin in that particular animal but uh, the proof is in the pudding um, you will just need to see how that animal gets on with that insulin type now you still have to pick one off the shelf so this is not a cop-out answer um, so on the basis of that largest clinical trial thus far we can say that both glargine and 
PZI are good insulin types to choose for the cat. The thing I would say there then is why don't you go for the veterinary licensed option and I don't say that to, to make the manufacturer richer, I say that because uh, the manufacturers are obliged to keep an eye out on any reactions or any issues with those products once they get uh, let loose into the market. Um, and if there's an issue with a veterinary product we will hear about it because they practice something called pharmacovigilance. So if somebody is using a veterinary project uh, somewhere in Hong Kong and they suddenly uh, get loads of reactions because of some uh, manufacturer problem in the cat, we all get to hear about it even if I practice in Canada and then action will be taken. Um, and another thing as well is we've seen it with Glargin for instance, very recently Glargin um, saw a lapsing of its uh, patent. Um, so Glargin was uh, bought over uh, by other companies and they have uh, caused a price hike in that particular insulin type causing some of the owners of cats to really freak out because they couldn't pay anymore for the insulin type they were giving to their cat um, and that might be less of an issue if you're a human with diabetes uh, you might have insurance or there might be other provisions there but uh, the producers of glycine are not that interested in the cat market uh, whereas those um, uh, with a veterinary brand are very interested uh, in making sure that the insulin type can still be bought and uh, given to their prime target which are cats so so on that basis i would say go for the veterinary um, option and therefore uh, in short i would pick pzi and that is now manufactured by Beringer uh, under the trade name prosync for a cat when i start off a cat with diabetes on insulin so probably, well, thank you very much for yep. that. Probably a, 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 a separate question or junk. Why, why did you look at those two um, and and not the, uh, the the Lente insulin? Yeah, the Lente insulin, which is the can insulin. So yeah. on the basis of the systematic review, we concluded there are not uh, enough clinical trials of head-on comparisons. Uh, between uh, those insulin types for us to conclude much. One thing that we did conclude is that cats are interesting creatures, that's why we love them, but one of their uh, funny things when you put insulin into cats is that the insulin hardly ever lasts long enough for you to get the best possible result. So what we did in, in, in light of the lack of head-on comparison clinical trials is we looked at the duration of action of these insulins and how they fare in all the publications that uh, have been out there uh, for a number of years and what we concluded uh, is that there is evidence to say that the duration of action is more favorable with glargine, datamir and PZI insulins and um, so when we then had to construct a clinical trial we said well let's go for those ones that are more likely to give us the best possible result which are those three at the moment uh, but in order to also construct the biggest possible clinical trial it's better to compare two insulins rather than three insulins because you will end up with a smaller number of cats per group if you end up with three groups um, so so we went for two and we of course wanted to include the veterinary licensed option as well uh, for the aforementioned um, sort of advantages of using a product like that so glargine which also has been uh, sort of touted at as the best possible option for the diabetes 
that the cat by many uh, key opinion leaders was the one we chose uh, versus the the sort of slightly less um, um, yeah used PZI protein zinc insulin uh, which is uh, the pro zinc um, and that's why we did that. And so if you're recommending um, one type of insulin, do you recommend a, a frequency of, of how you how you dose it as well? And and with that, I suppose it's very difficult not to include some idea of the feeding regime that you have with a with a with the uh, with your patients as, as well. So so is there a uh, um, do, when you when you start off on the on the on the process the trial as you said to mm-hmm. see if this works do you alter anything in the way um, the owner feeds their their cat and do you start off at once a day or twice a day? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, at the moment, with all insulin types, uh, twice daily is still best. Um, individual rare cases can be treated uh, once a day. I mentioned before the duration of action is an issue in cats in general. So very rarely we can get away with once daily. So um, as a matter of routine, you should count on twice daily. Um, and then in terms of feeding, I would really get to know that cat um, and figure out, is this cat a grazer? Then I wouldn't want to change his or her feeding behavior. And that's very difficult anyway. If you've ever treated a cat or you own the cat, you know they do whatever they want anyway. Uh, so, so I wouldn't recommend now that they've become diabetic to start changing their feeding regimen. Um, so if they are natural grazers, that's actually a good thing. Because if you think about what we do with diabetes treatment, um, the, the body can't regulate the glucose anymore so we need to do it uh, for the body and we do that by uh, sort of matching insulin activity with what happens after eating which we call uh, postprandial hyperglycemia so glucose going up after we have eaten or the cat has eaten and we want the insulin to be active at time of that uh, increase in glucose as a consequence of food now when you have a grazing cat actually you end up with a very many little postprandial hyperglycemias and um, so it's, it's sort of like a hilly landscape if you look at their glucose uh, curve and that is easier to cover with a long-acting insulin than when we've got two big meals like a big English breakfast in the morning which uh, leads to a mountain uh, of uh, glucose uh, rise in the morning and then another big dinner uh, in the evening those um, sort of um, yeah elevations in glucose are, are more difficult to cover with an insulin type so if a cat is a natural grazer we actually like that we let them do that and we give on top of that two or twice daily injections with insulin and this is something to differentiate from a greedy cat that fakes as if it is a grazer but in fact just wants to eat whenever there's food available so it's sort of a grazer imposter um, and and those cats we shouldn't let graze because their body condition will go up as well and as uh, probably a lot of people know is that um, obesity is actually an enemy in the diabetic patient uh, well in all patients but especially in the diabetic patient because it will lead to uh, unreliable insulin activity uh, and sometimes obesity actually is part of why diabetes are uh, arrived on the scene in the first place um, so uh, one, one of the things that came forward out of our trial as well is that um, maybe we've been focusing too much on which insulin type can put them into diabetic remission which is this phenomenon where we can stop insulin again um, because everyone has been looking for this insulin type that is the remission insulin type um, and there probably isn't any insulin um, 
that is a remission inducing um, insulin but what did come forward is that when you achieve uh, in an obese diabetic cat more than two percent weight loss in the first month that has an increased um, association with diabetic remission so actually we should be focusing on making sure our fat cats become less fat as a matter of urgency uh, during diabetic treatment and that will pay off and we get more cats actually not needing insulin in the, in the, in the long run. Um, I'm not sure how we got to this <laughs> bit and what your question was, but I hope there was some interesting information in uh, all absolutely, I said. Absolutely, yeah. there, there was. And, and with the with the, the twice daily insulin, do you, do you have a, a, a starting dose in mind or does that depend on the uh, a, a hypoglycemic uh, or how hypoglycemic the, the patient is or is it you yeah. always have a starting yeah, I mean, uh, the starting dose needs to be a safe dose. So if we start too ambitious and too close to the dose that eventually this cat is going to end up with, then statistically speaking, over our career, we'll get it wrong at times. And we'll have some cats being um, more sensitive and then ending up with hypoglycemia, low blood sugar. Um, and that could lead to a cat uh, fitting on the kitchen floor. And that's not what we want to achieve because owners are already shaken by the fact that we've just told them that cat has got diabetes they probably didn't even know that diabetes occurs in cats they have to now inject their pet and that's not why they bought their fluffy uh, lovely cat they wanted to stroke it and not jab it so if in that initial month after that shock we have hypoglycemia then that could be the last drop that leads to them uh, giving up on the whole concept of diabetes treatment uh, whereas diabetes is very treatable in the cat so that would be really uh, a great shame so we want to start with a safe dose um, and often that comes down to a unit per cat if it is a moderate size uh, two units if it is a bigger sized cat and that is a conservative dose unlikely leading to hypoglycemia um, and then we'll just send them home and uh, see how they fare on that dose and make adjustments uh, accordingly and how long would you would you wait to to make those adjustments in a, in a newly diagnosed sort of patient? So how how long is a is a fair enough time before you want to see well actually what is what is the incident that we're giving doing? Yeah, so uh, good question and uh, and something that we see sometimes go wrong um, in that people want to change things too quickly. As soon as we start the insulin, there's hardly ever a chance of this cat going into diabetic ketoacidosis. So there's no pressure to arrive at the the best possible dose as quickly as possible so slower is better than quicker um, and we should leave probably at least a week uh, for us to see what the true effect is of the insulin um, and in terms of uh, how to assess whether or not it is successful the clinical picture is always the most important so the more days we leave the cat with the owners the more chance they've got to observe the cat and to figure out if this dose is making a difference or if there is still um, or there are still residual clinical signs um, and that history that we will be taking when we um, have a chat with the owners after starting the insulin is the most important thing we can do in terms of the monitoring 
uh, some glycemic tests, so glucose tests that we can do on top of that, fructosamines, we can do curves, uh, but all of those actually can lie to us, especially in the cat because of stress. Uh, so the one thing that hardly ever lies, and unless the owner is not observant enough, uh, is the history, uh, the clinical picture. So we should pay really meticulous um, attention to the clinical picture uh, in order to establish whether or not we need to go up or down with the dose. Um, that, that's great. And Stein, if, if you um, uh, thought about that maybe this insulin isn't working or the, or the patient mm. was persistently hyperglycemic, or in fact, can you, can you tell me what would make you decide to think maybe this insulin isn't, isn't working, maybe I need to, to use something else? Yeah. So basically, uh, when we start at insulin, uh, we will end up assessing after a week or so how, how are the clinical signs. If the clinical signs are still there, then we uh, will try to increase the insulin dose, often either half or whole unit at a time um, per cat, um, every injection. Um, and we can only do that process until the glucose starts to become too low. Um, and that is something we can only assess by doing a serial glucose assessment um, and traditionally that has been done with a glucose curve however we also know that that is not possible in all cases some cats don't tolerate it uh, others uh, get stress hyperglycemia so they fake as if their glucose is still high but it's the stress um, of taking the blood samples uh, so increasingly what we've been using in our diabetic remission clinics feel free to visit our Facebook site as well so just look it up we've got loads of information uh, about diabetes in cats and dogs uh, on there if you are interested but increasingly what we've been using in the diabetic remission clinic are novel gadgets uh, that we can implant just under the skin of the cats and then we send them home because in the home environment it's the best possible environment to establish how the glucose is doing with less stress factors um, and one of them is the freestyle libre uh, which is a continuous glucose monitoring system uh, with which cats and dogs can go home with and we get often two weeks worth of glucose data um, and that can tell us well have we maximized this insulin type which is basically if the glucose at times goes uh, close to the hypoglycemic range then we can't really increase the insulin anymore and if that um, dose gives us a clinical picture that's not good enough because the cat is still clinical then we have maximized the insulin type and we need to switch over okay that's great you, you mentioned uh, at, the, at the start of the, the show that uh, maybe some of the influence of how you might uh, choose an insulin might actually be dictated by the owner if they know that they can go to their local supermarket and pick up an insulin off the shelf mm -hmm. without having to go to a, to a veterinarian to um, to get a, a, a licensed product. So, yeah. so what would you recommend to, to those uh, um, those veterinarians out there that that have that issue that a client comes in and says, "Hey, I want to use this that I've got in my supermarket." Yeah, yeah. So uh, we need to always be happy as clinicians that we're doing the right thing for the animal. That's our duty. Um, and again, to point out, uh, in certain countries, there are laws that prevent that from happening. And we as clinicians, if practicing in those countries, should not uh, participate in anything that is uh, against the law. Uh, but in other countries, that is possible. And then maybe finances dictate the uh, choice of insulin. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, any insulin is better than none. Um, in most cases, 
cats. If we don't give them the insulin, they will die. So it's a death uh, sentence. Um, so then we need to try to maximize that insulin type. And it might do the trick, you know. But statistically speaking, probably if you start all your cats on NPH, which is that cheapest uh, kind of insulin that you can get, um, especially in the States, um, on average, you'll have lower success rates than if you were able to start them on a PZI, for instance. Um, so they need to accept that. Um, now, diabetes can be an expensive condition, but there are probably other things that we can compromise on that will enable us to have the funds available to still pay for a better insulin type. Um, so one of the things uh, that needs to be given to the cat every single day is the diet, for instance. And we definitely want to be given a, a low-carbohydrate diet. Again, I mentioned that systematic review that did reveal that there is relatively strong evidence that a low-carbohydrate diet is good for diabetic cats. Uh, but you can also get over-the-counter low-carbohydrate diets. Um, and there are even little calculators on the web where you can calculate how many carbs there are in different um, options that are available through supermarkets. So you can reduce the cost there as well. Um, other things you can reduce the cost in if you were to practice home blood glucose monitoring. So that could prevent you to have to go to the vets for those glucose assessments. Uh, it requires an initial investment of buying that glucometer, which should be a veterinary validated glucometer, because there are a few studies out there showing that the human glucometers really don't um, uh, serve you uh, uh, very well. They're, they are relatively uh, random number generators compared to the veterinary uh, licensed ones or, or veterinary validated ones. So do invest into that. But once you're invested in that, um, then, then you've got the power at home to generate a lot of information which can then be discussed with the local vet to figure out how to best optimize that particular cat. So as you said, it's just taking the time and that initial thing to for, to where the people are, um, are that this is going to be an ongoing uh, treatment and medical therapy, and yet yeah, they might make small savings here, but actually getting the the optimum insulin for their for their for their patient actually serves them in the long time, even if yeah. it is more expensive. And and as you said, you don't want people to uh, have a negative experience in that initial period. That that. Uh, um, uh, it's not the honeymoon phase, is it, of a disease? But that period where they, they need to actually invest their invest their time and yeah. understand what's going on. Because if it gets too complicated in the first couple of weeks, then you, yeah. you're not going to see the the end result of how a routine and stability um, uh, you know serves these cats to to, to you know, live relatively normal lives absolutely yeah yeah it's not a honeymoon period it's a potential divorce period uh, <laughs> leading to the death of of the cat if we don't yeah. get it right so uh, owners need support uh, also psychological support and it might sound a little bit heavy but you know they, they again i emphasize they bought their cat to cuddle it to spend good times with and now we are asking them to do some medical treatment with them and and, and that that asks a lot and therefore we should have a support team and the practice as well and involve nurses and technicians uh, in trying to help out there as well. I think nurses and technicians can be fantastic pillars of a diabetic support team as well because uh, veterinarians like myself, they are busy people so sometimes these owners phone in and they can't get hold of me uh, and that can be really frustrating so if we can get a whole team involved with uh, perhaps a technician or nurse that is really interested in the diabetes, uh, train 
trained up to also have the knowledge to deal with a whole uh, array of questions that are commonly um, in the minds of these owners that can help a lot. Um, the other thing I guess that, that uh, I would like to emphasize and, and make known to people is that you can do some quality of life assessments with these uh, owners of diabetic pets. So we've got um, uh, a validated quality of life survey um, uh, set up here at the Royal Veterinary College as part of our research at the Diabetic Remission Clinic and that's accessible to, to anyone um, and that asks really specific questions about the lives of the pets with diabetes but also the owners. Uh, you know it asks questions about how do you fit the diabetes of your pet in your life, you know do you have troubles going away for a spontaneous weekend, you know uh, what, what are the issues, are costs the issues or are you just worrying about hypoglycemia on top of other things that are more traditionally associated with quality of life of diabetic pets whether or not they drink a lot they eat a lot they lose weight and so on but it's a more holistic assessment and that's a really nice guideline so if we have our nurses or our owners themselves fill out those um, those surveys you get a real good picture of what's going on in that household um, and by paying attention to that um, we, we're convinced that these cats and owners do better uh, they experience the, the, the disease uh, less as a burden and we can work with them to identify what, what is really tricky in their lives because of the diabetes of their pets and find solutions you know so if they have issues with fitting it in their lives because they've got busy jobs they have to do over um, time with their work you know we can invite the neighbors into the practice and teach them how to inject uh, you know but we wouldn't have found out um, if we hadn't asked them those questions about what is really bothering you uh, in your daily life having a pet with diabetes um, this survey is also available through the free RVC pet diabetes app so we encourage all owners to use this app to communicate with the local practice and they can fill out that survey um, and then with the tap of a finger send it on to the practice who can then analyze it and look at what what are the issues and how can we help uh, it contains a little diary as well in which they can put glucose data should they do home blood glucose monitoring as well as other uh, functionalities that we thought were um, important for a uh, good communication between the pet owner and the local practice that's a fantastic sign. I always uh, think when I've been, been talking to people on this podcast that if I have lots more questions to ask, then uh, I should I should hold off and, and ask them to uh, to come back on the show. I think we'll maybe we should uh, dub these like the Stein sessions, and we could uh, get you in maybe maybe even twenty or thirty. Who knows where it uh, where it could end? But I know you're a busy man, and thank you very much for your for your time today, Stein. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. So we'll wrap it up there and, uh, um, and we'll put some uh, links to the show notes what Stein suggested about the, the app and the quality of life survey and all, all the other bits of, bits of gems. Um, so thank you very much for, for listening. Um, please hit that subscribe button on whatever smartphone that you have so you don't even have to worry about missing a podcast. It would be really great, again, if you could leave us a, a, a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars would be great anywhere in the world. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. It just really helps our, our metrics. Don't forget, we'll place those show notes in the RVC pages. So if you just type in RVC Clinical Podcast into your search engine of choice, it should be top of the tree. Any comments and suggestions for this podcast, please get in touch. So you can either email me, dbarfield at rvc.ac.uk, or tweet me at Don Barfield. Until next time, bye-bye.